Welcome to the Gospel Ministry of Exchange Church. Thank you for connecting with us for our Bible talk today, and please feel free to share these talks with others as well. It's our desire to connect people to Jesus and grow people in Jesus. To find out more about us, please visit our website www.exchangechurch.org.au. Christmas was a few days ago and it's amazing how tiring Christmas can be isn't it when you think it's going to be relaxing and peaceful it's amazing how sometimes you get tired over Christmas and a few people as they arrive today to set up oh I'm feeling a bit tired so yeah it's just incredible how that happens sometimes anyway I'm glad you've come along we're going to open up God's word today because we love to uh, see Christ come shining out of the scriptures because that's where we see our salvation and we see the wonder of our creator and the glory of him who's made us and uh, renewed us in his image as well. Uh, yes, my name is Todd Hall. I am the lead pastor here of Exchange Church, and we are so thankful for Golden Valley Christian Fellowship allowing us to use their building. We'll be here for a few more weeks, hoping we might be able to get back into the Senior Centre uh, maybe early Feb, but we will keep you posted on that um, as opportunity comes along. So uh, today, I thought I would just follow on again in the theme of Christmas and thinking about uh, Christmas freedom. Uh, here's a question, though. What's one thing that you think everybody in this world is looking for? What's one thing that everybody in this world is looking for? I think in many respects, uh, the world is looking for it in different ways, but they are looking for freedom. They are looking for freedom. We have a world that's crying out for freedom on many, many different fronts. Freedom from oppression... Uh, freedom from racism, freedom from corrupt governments, freedom from injustice, and freedom just to be who I want to be is probably a very big catch cry around this world. Just free to be who I want to be. Uh, We're looking for freedom. Uh, Here's the deal. If we stop and look at Christmas, if we stop and look at Christmas in its depth and true significance, what we actually see is this, that God is bringing freedom to us, true freedom that only he can bring into our lives and it's a freedom once tasted experience that is that we just want to live in that freedom and enjoy its eternal benefits as truly satisfying for our soul when we actually experience the freedom that God brings to us and gives to us and it's this freedom that comes to us through Christmas comes to us through Christmas if you've got your Bibles let's have a look at that today as we think about it now in John uh, first John uh, chapter 2, verse 28 and 310. Very small book, and you can very quickly flick past it in your Bible. John, uh, 1 John, chapter 2, verse 28, and we're going to read 2, 3, verse 10. <coughs> uh, verse 28, I write these t- things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. But the anointing you have received from him abides in you, and you have no, one, no need that... Ooh, where am I? No, sorry, I was in 26, 28. I need glasses as well, you can see. Because I'm thinking, that's not what I looked at through the week. Verse 28. And now, little children, abide in him, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, 
because we shall, we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning either has seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he's been born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. Uh, Lord, thank you today. We can come and open up uh, your precious word. We ask and pray now, Holy Spirit, as we think about Christmas, as we think about freedom, we think about Jesus who appeared to destroy the works of the evil one, to break the power of sin over our lives and to set us free to now live for him. So I ask Holy Spirit, as we just work through this passage now, just open our eyes up to see that, to see what Jesus has done when he appeared, to break and destroy the powers of the evil one. I ask for your help now, in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, the coming of the, of the uh, Christ into the world, he created an incredibly powerful truth that keeps unfolding for us. Uh, we'll never actually mind the depths of what it was when God became a man in the Son of Jesus Christ and came to this world. We'll never actually mind that for all of eternity. Even in heaven, we'll still be basking in that revelation that will keep unfolding before us that God became a man to rescue us and to save us. Uh, the coming of Jesus really has brought us freedom, if our eyes can be opened up to it, in massive scales. Not small time, big time. Freedom from guilt. Freedom from shame, freedom from condemnation, freedom from chains of addiction, freedom from slavery to life-controlling habits, freedom actually from myself and my own brokenness, freedom from Satan, freedom from sin and brokenness is all these glorious things that Christ achieved for us when he came to this earth. See, we can never actually see or imagine how trapped and how bound up we are in this world to sin at all of its bondages. Because sin's very deceptive. It doesn't actually tell us we're bound up. And it's only when our eyes are open up that we actually see how bound up we are by sin and all of its bondages. But at Christmas, the coming of Christ, comes this opportunity of a life of freedom. Now free to love God and to serve him as our glorious creator and to enjoy his eternal goodness. Not for a day, not for a week, not for a year, but for eternity. And here's our big idea as we think about that today, that Jesus, through Christmas, brings freedom into our lives from the life-controlling brokenness of sin to now serve God gladly, to now serve God gladly. Uh, the Bible paints a really, really clear picture for us uh, in this world for where we lie. We're either serving one of two entities, 
Now, put your seatbelts on. It's going to be a little bit rough here for this first passage as we go through this. Uh, And the first thing is, we're either living for God or we're living for Satan. It sounds pretty drastic, doesn't it, when I say that? We're either living for God or we're either living for Satan. For those who aren't living for God, they would never say that they're living for Satan. And Satan doesn't want them to know that either. He'll never tell them that. Because he deals in lies and he deals in deception. He's very seductive in all of his ways. And he only has one language that he speaks. Lies. John, the writer of this letter, he is really clear here where he talks about either Satan or the devil or about God. And he says one or the other. In verse 10 it says there, either God is your father or the devil is your father. He paints it really clearly. Two positions. Everyone born into this world is corrupted with sin and brokenness, without exception, without exception. As we grow and mature, that sinfulness just begins to come out of us. It begins to just appear in our lives. And therefore, the Bible tells us in that state, we are actually under the power and the influence of Satan. As John puts it here, we are of the devil in that sense. If we look again in verses 4 and 8, he actually begins to open this up for us. Verse 4, he says this, Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. And in verse 8, he says this, Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. Just to help us think about what John's saying here, because we really love to open the Bible up here at Exchange, so we like to actually understand why is John writing this? Why is he using these particular words? And there's one particular word here, he uses practice. You see it there twice in those two verses we just read. Now John says here about those who practice sinning. So what does he mean when he says practicing sinning? Well, we can practice something to perfect it, can't we? If I want to go learn a guitar or something like that, I'll keep practicing that instrument until I can perfect playing it. Probably for me that will never work because I just haven't got the musical skills for that. That's one way of thinking about uh, practicing something, just practicing to perfect that. But what I think John means here when he uses this word practice, which is tied into what I just spoke about, is this. When we practice guitar playing, what are we doing? We're putting into place a habit or we're making a committed, sort of willful, active choice to set a routine in our life to practice something. So when John talks here about sinning, he's meaning this in the sense of practicing. When we make a practice of sinning or breaking God's law, that means we are actively and willfully carrying out these actions without really trying to stop it. We're just living that way and we're not actually worried about it. We just let it happen. We're making a practice of it. It's an habitual routine that we just have happened in our life. For example... If I allow jealousy to rise up within me, I don't stop that jealousy until I get my way or agenda. And even when I do get my way and agenda for what I'm jealous about or whatever it might be, the jealousy doesn't stop there. I just shift my jealousy onto something else. It's become a routine or a practice or a habit. And before I know it, something like jealousy that's sort of rooted deep in my heart, I become a slave to it because I just shift that jealousy to something else. I become sort of subservient or a slave to this attitude of my heart in a jealous way, wishing I had what that other person had or wishing I could be just like that person over there 
I become this slave to this idea and this attitude of jealousy. And if we're completely honest, in our natural state, we are bound to doing some things, not perhaps all things, but some things from a mean and sinful foundation. At the very least in our thoughts. may not always carry those actions out, but those thoughts are in our mind. It comes from an evil or mean, sinful foundation. This is what John means here with the idea of practising sinning, practising breaking God's law and just doing it willfully. We're bound to it and we're helpless in it to stop it. You can probably release your seatbelts just a little bit now. But that's the state of where we are and the Bible is really, really clear about that. Now that might sound, gee, Todd, that's a bit despairing. We just celebrated Christmas like two days ago. Can you sort of, you know, bring back the joy and gladness? You've just told me the foundation of my life is a sinful person. That's where John is as he writes this letter. But John doesn't leave us in despair, though, as he's writing this. The Bible's always a real book. It doesn't deal superficially. The Bible always comes out and goes deep into our hearts to expose our hearts, but for the very good purpose of healing our hearts, restoring our hearts, and bringing us into a, uh, a newfound freedom in Christ. And to truly see this freedom that Christ brings us into, we must see the bondage of slavery that we are in. You'll never appreciate the freedom unless you know the slavery. If you know the slavery and the depth of it, you appreciate the freedom that you've been set free from. There's two parts here with this freedom. It's this, we talk about this gospel freedom here that comes with Christmas, which John's going to take us to. And there's two parts here in this freedom found in the one person of Jesus Christ. The first part of this freedom is foundational, and we've got to get the first part because the second part springboards off the first part of this foundational freedom. Here's the first part for us. Uh, in verse 5, it says this, You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. That's Christmas. He appeared. Who appeared? John's talking about Jesus. He appeared, Jesus appeared, in order to take away our sins. Jesus came as the sinless Lamb of God to take away our sins, our lawless living, our breaking of God's laws, and not living up to God's standards, our living our own way. Jesus appeared to become our sin bearer, to take upon himself ultimately the punishment due for that sin, for rebelling against God. The story of Jesus Christ does start in the cradle, but it ends at the cross 33 years later when he dies upon that cross, paying the price of our sins. Jesus appeared to take away our sins. So we are free from the penalty of sin because of who Jesus is and what he did when he came. And John opens us up further by showing God's love towards us in doing that. God just didn't do it as a matter of fact. God did it because he loved us and demonstrated that love for us by presenting Jesus. And we see it there in verse 1. Uh, verse 1 says this, See what kind of love the Father has given to us. Again, what is John saying when he says this? This is not just ordinary love. This is not just, well, I love chocolate. Or I love fruit. Or I love my car. John's saying, see what kind of love this is. This is not ordinary love. This is special love. This is a special freeing love that God demonstrates for us, for those who don't deserve it and haven't earned it. 
John's saying, see what kind of love this is. This is not just run-of-the-mill love. This is special love. This is only a love that God can show. And he takes it further here. He says this in verse 1. See what kind of love the Father has given us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are, says John. That's enormous. This Christmas freedom goes further where God tells us we are his children. Jesus appears to take sins away and because of that we're now adopted into God's family. God calls us his very own. This is the freedom that Jesus brings as we celebrate Christmas. We get to call God our Father, just like when we open up in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, Jesus appears, takes sin away, and brings us the freedom to call God our Father. Now that's the first freedom that we actually see here about Christmas. That's the first freedom that John's showing us here in this passage. And it's, as I said, it's a freedom we haven't fully grasped. We don't fully get it because we don't, just, we don't see how big our sin problem is first. And we don't want to see that, but we need to see that. Because when we see that, we then begin to see how enormous God's love is to overcome that sin problem, to set us free and to bring us into his family. Now, you may be sitting here today, and this could be the first time you've been in a church, thinking, well, I just thought you had to be a good person and God would accept you. You just do enough good things and God says, you're a good bloke, yep, you're in. That's not the gospel. That's never actually been the gospel at all. The gospel is about the freedom that Jesus brings to those who don't deserve it, who haven't earned it. That's true gospel freedom. And this first freedom here is foundational. It's getting that, that Jesus has dealt with our sin problem. That is the foundational platform that we, as it were, build all the rest of our Christian life off. We springboard off that initial foundation of what Christ has done for us. And this is exactly where John goes right now. He says this, Jesus has saved us. We're born again. We've received a new heart. God calls us his children. And as his children, John's going in this direction, we should bear a family resemblance, shouldn't we, as part of the family? Now, I've got a son in my family called Elliot, and he does look a bit like me, much to his dismay. He's not quite as good as me yet, but he's getting there slowly. Much to his dismay, but that's, you sort of expect that, and he sort of does the same mannerisms as me, which he doesn't like that either, but you just can't stop that, can you? And so it is, though, with being a part of God's family. We should bear a resemblance to our father. We should live like God wants us to live. And this is what John tells us here in verses 6 and 7. He says there, No one who abides in him is now living in God's family. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. What's John saying there? If you abide in him, then you'll live like him. His life is now flowing out through you. And as John uses that word again, their practice. Common word here in this passage. In other words, in God's family as a follower of Jesus, we'll make it a willful, continual habit to live like one of uh, God's children. Because his seed, his spirit, this new heart, lives within us now. We bear the family resemblance and we want to live like our father. 
This now leads us to the second part of the freedom here that Jesus brings us at Christmas. It's a glorious freedom. And this freedom here is the ability to live for God and no longer for the devil and his chains of slavery. Look in verse 8. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. Now read carefully this next bit here. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. You could just sit on that and camp on that for a while. What's the reason why the Son of God appeared? Why did Jesus come at Christmas? Jesus came to destroy, crush, do away with the works of the devil. What are the works of the devil? What's the chief aim of Satan? What's the chief thing that he wants to achieve in his time here upon earth? The devil is continually opposed, 24-7, every moment of his existence. He's continually opposed to God and to all of humanity that is made in the image of God. He can think of nothing better than trying to take God down or take down his creation. That's what the devil's works are. It's all about lies. It's all about deception. It's all about trying to influence us, human beings made in the image of God, to rebel against God, and not only God, but to rebel against each other as well. That's all the devil's interested in. To steal, kill and destroy, we're told in John chapter 10 as well. And the devil's very first work in Genesis 3 was this, was to lie and deceive Adam and Eve into rebelling against God. That was his first work we see him doing. And he's just been doing the same thing on forever and a day since. Lying, deceiving, trying to get people to rebel against God. Whispering lies and whispering deception into our mind all the time. And he's doing this to tempt us, to influence us, to draw us away from our creator, the one who gives us our life and breath. What's he do? He does this. He tells us a little bit of pornography is okay. A little bit of pornography is okay. After all, it's only pictures. It's not the real thing. It's not going to hurt anybody. A little bit's okay. Or he says this. It's okay to gossip. It's okay to cut other people down behind their back because really you're just telling people what they need to hear anyway. That's all right. that, That doesn't matter. People need to know this about this other person. It's okay to gossip. That's what he does. And he'll do it in a million different ways. Deceiving us, tempting us, influencing us. Trying to get us to practice sin. And to not leave his slave labour gang. He wants to keep us, as it were, chained up on the treadmill of sin, promising freedom, promising freedom through sinful ways and broken ways, but only delivering us guilt and shame and despair at the end of the day. That's all he delivers. But what has Jesus done by his coming? What has John told us here? Destroy the works of the devil. Jesus has destroyed Satan's power. At the cross, when Jesus died for sin, he also destroyed sin's power over us as well. What does that mean then? Satan's, uh, the sin's power has been broken, but how does, that ref- how does that work into our hearts and our lives? Uh, we who are believers, 
of, of followers of Jesus still have remaining indwelling sin or corruption within us. It's a bit like cold. When you're in the severe stages of a cold, you're just totally miserable and whatnot, but even when the cold's gone away, you still have little dregs of it sort of in there just dragging you down. Well, sin's a bit like that. It's just actually, when you're a believer, it remains in there. We're still plagued, as it were, and corrupted by broken desires and sinful desires that are tempting us to sin against God. Sin is still enticing when you're a believer, still trying to draw us into its trap. You watch a movie, you're sitting down, you're comfortable in your chair, and on comes this sex scene or sexual scene or something like that. And it's like, I just want to watch it. You just get drawn into it. That's the remaining sin that actually just throws its tentacles out at you, sort of through the screen just about, and actually just wants to draw you right into it. It's still working in our hearts, still working in our lives. But Jesus has broken the power of sin over our lives. As we contemplate what Jesus has done for us through the gospel, as we see his grace displayed on the cross for us to save us and to rescue us, and we think about the new heart that the Holy Spirit's given to us, that we take the truth and the beauty of who Christ is and what he's done for us, we're then enabled to be no longer slaves to the power of sin. We're no longer under the dominion of sin that would actually have this controlling power over our lives. You see, this is the second element of the freedom that Christ brings us. We are free from the dominion of Satan. Although still tempted by him, we're no longer under his control. There's a distinct element now of the Spirit working out through this new heart that's pushing back against sinful living. We're broken. Sin's power has been broken over our lives. Does that mean I'll never sin again and live a perfect life? Sometimes people outside the church look into the church thinking, oh, they must be all the perfect people. If only they knew. No, we won't live a perfect life. And John's already dealt with that. We are weak. And yes, we will still sin sometimes. And in John chapter 1, verse 8, he says this. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. We're not going to live a perfect life. We still sometimes will fall into sin. That'll just happen, but there'll be something that'll convict us deeply about us straight away. But John follows on very quickly in the next verse to say, what do we do with that when we do fall into sin? He says in verse chapter 1, verse 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. So no, we're not going to live a sinless, perfect life. But we should, as a hard attitude, try and live a sinless, perfect life. That's what we should be aiming for. But we will fall and we confess and God forgives. See, the devil's working overtime to entice us and then to guilt us into condemnation after we've fallen back into sin again. And when that happens, you can be as sure as eggs. The devil stands up and he laughs in our face. There you go. Got you again. Got you again. He loves condemnation. He lives in condemnation, in condemning us. And when we become entangled in these webs of sin, it's really a weakened place to be. A weakened place to be. Guilt and condemnation burdens us down. Joy and peace seems to just escape out of our lives and we feel crushed by it. It's a terrible place to be in. But we come back to Christ again. And he delivers us from that condemnation. He sets us free from that condemnation. He sets us free from that guilt that the devil heaps upon us when we fail and sin. 
He does this again by reassuring us that at the cross, which comes after the cradle, he's done away with our sin uh, uh, all of together. So here's the freedom that Jesus at Christmas graciously brings us when he came and destroyed the works of the devil. Because that's why he appeared. He appeared to destroy the works of the devil. We're no longer slaves to Satan and sin. Satan, once again, tempts me into sexual sin again. I'm not going to fall for it. I don't need to be controlled by sexual sin. God uh, gives me the strength to overcome it, so I say no to that sin. I'm tempted again to react in anger when I don't get my way. I want to explode to get my way. I don't need to get my way. Jesus gives me the power to say no to the sin of anger. I'm tempted again to get jealous. I really want what someone else has got over there. My heart is set upon that and I'll do whatever it takes to get it. I don't need my life to be fulfilled by what other stuff people have got. I can be completely satisfied and fulfilled in what Christ has done for me already. And I can say no to that sin. When I'm tempted to be mean-hearted and selfish again, I don't need to fall for that. I can trust in what God has given to me. That is more than enough in my life and I can actually be generous with what I've been been given by him. See, this is the glorious good news of Christmas, that we are set free from these bondages and these dominions that are over our lives. The Holy Spirit, through Jesus Christ, beckons us, calls us, as it were, to walk out on Satan's slave labour camp, to leave that camp and to join God's camp. He calls us to say something like this, that's it. That's it. I'm not working for you any longer. I'm done. I'm finished with you, Satan. Jesus has set me free from your chains and bondages, and I'm living for him now. You've heaped guilt and condemnation on me for years. You've crushed me with fear and insecurity, and I'm not going to believe those lies any longer. Jesus has paid the price of my sin, and sin's power has broken over my life. I'm a child of God. I'm no longer your slave, Satan. And today I walk out of your deception. That's what he calls us to do. To live in that freedom. Because Jesus came to smash Satan's power and dominion over mankind. And that's exactly why the angels filled the sky the night Christ was born. They were declaring God's glorious salvation has come. That not only sins had been taken away, but sin's power has been broken over mankind. That's why they can sing with joy and gladness. That's why we celebrate with joy and gladness at Christmas. We don't need to be trapped by these bondages any longer. So again, don't let another Christmas go by. Don't let another Christmas go by without truly meditating on what Christ has achieved for you and me. This is not small-time stuff. This is massively huge stuff that frees us into the true freedom that Jesus now brings us into. And here's what he asks us to do from this passage today. He says this, practice doing godly actions. Practice living a godly life. Practice carrying out Christ-honouring lives. This freedom that we've now been brought into and been given, he's saying let's look intently for opportunities where we can use this freedom that we've now been so gloriously given to magnify Jesus Christ through gospel-driven lives wherever we are. Let's let this seed that now abides in us, this freedom that's been given to us, live that way. Live a countercultural life, using the power that Jesus gives to us to live in such a way 
that the people around about us will potentially ask for the reason for the hope that lies within us. You seem to have some power that causes you to live in a different way. You you seem to have some sort of power in your life that causes you to uh, march to a different drumbeat than what the rest of the world is marching to. You've discovered something here that actually, I don't know what it is, but you're living very differently. You seem to be able to go through stuff and you seem to be able to lose stuff. You seem to have this other hope. You seem to have this freedom in your life. What is that? That's the opportunity then where we can actually talk about the freedom that God has given to us. Is that the freedom you know? Is that the freedom you know? Or are you still bound by this world and its ways trying to find life here? Trying to build your life in this world and just still feeling like you haven't got what you wanted? You're always coming up empty. You're always coming up with despair. This is the freedom that Christ brings. It's a freedom that sets us free from all of these things. And it sets us free to live for him. Let me pray. We trust you have enjoyed our Bible talk from today. If you have any questions or comments from today's talk, please feel free to contact us at info at exchangechurch.org.au. Also, we love to welcome new people to Exchange Church in person, so consider yourself invited to be with us. 